Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Kyle, and it's my privilege to open up the Word with you this morning. Uh, I'm going to ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have the Bible this morning, I just ask you now to, if you've got the courage, raise your hand, please, and we've got extra Bibles for you. We're going to be looking through uh, the Word, Ephesians 5. If you've forgotten your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, does anyone need a Bible? Okay, anyone else? Need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get you a Bible. If you don't have one and uh, we give you one, then you get to keep that one as well. That's yours. So uh, if you've been following with us, we've been going through a series through the book of Ephesians. And uh, we're today landing on Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 33. So Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 33. Let me uh, read it and just please follow along with me. Wives, submit to your, or sorry, that was last Sunday. (laughs) Let's just hear it again. That is unbelievable that I just did that, but not really. Okay, let's try again. That's also good. You can read that on your own time. Um, Okay, so verse 25. I've just given you more time to get there. Ready? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Ephesians 5 25 to 33. Uh, this morning, I think it's interesting, is it not? Uh, that it's Father's Day, and here's a sermon on husbands, on Father's Day. I want to tell you that we didn't plan this. This wasn't uh, part of our schedule. This just happened this way. It is interesting that that's the case, and I would imagine that for many of us, you're thinking, well, I I think most of us could just leave right now. We don't need to hear this. This doesn't apply to me, especially on Father's Day, about husbands. Maybe uh, if you're a wife, you're thinking, well, maybe I'll stay because at least my husband can get some, uh, some good help here. It might be good for him, so we should stay at least for his sake, or maybe the kids are thinking this will be good for dad, and so it's worth me to to stay as well. And if you're a young adult, maybe you're thinking this is going to help with me figuring out maybe a future husband, so you know what, maybe it's worth my time uh, to stay, and and maybe if you're a young adult too, as a man, you're thinking, you know what, I could probably learn something about what it means to be a husband one day, so, so I'll stay. Husbands, maybe you're thinking, great. Here we go, right? Another sermon on how I'm dropping the ball. On Father's Day, which is my day, and here it is, right? Or or maybe you're thinking, uh, you're you're more keen and you're thinking, no, 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 I'm leaning in. I want to hear about how I can do better. Or maybe, maybe you're one of the few that is right now looking for his wife or leaning towards his wife and saying, honey, listen up. You're going to hear how I'm nailing it, how I'm hitting it out of the park. And I just think it's so fitting on Father's Day that this message is coming. Um, if that's you, then that's 
uh, called pride, and that's a problem. So we can, <laughs> we can talk about that later, perhaps. Why does the sermon on husbands matter so much? Why does this matter so much? Well, part of it for sure is that we're going to learn how husbands should love their wives. And that matters greatly. It is a massively big deal. Husbands need to know how to love their wives as they ought. For sure, this is a big deal. But that is not the biggest reason that each one of us has to stay right now. That you have to hear what's being spoken right now. That you should be on the edge of your seat thinking, no, I need to hear what's about to be preached. The reason is, is because when a husband loves as he should, then we see the love of Christ as it is. This is why it applies to every single one of us this morning. This is why it matters so greatly because when a husband loves as he should, then we get to see a greater love. A greater love is modeled in a way that it can't be in any other relationship. But marriage, we get to see the love of Christ for his bride. We get to see the love of Christ for his church. This is the difference between Christ getting glory or being robbed of it this morning. This is massively important. This is for sure about the love of a husband as it should be, but it's much, much more. I'm not just making this up. I'm not trying to add to it. What Ephesians 5 shows us is this is much, much more about a love of Christ as it is. This matters greatly. And so, because that's the case, I think it's fitting we've prayed, but I think it's fitting again to pray now and say, God, help us. God, help us. So let me, let me pray again. Let's pray. So, Father, in light of uh, what we've just read from Ephesians 5, in light of um, what is at stake, the glory of your Son, and, Lord, the opportunity right now to be reminded of the love of the groom for his bride, the love of Christ for his church. Father, please, would you help us understand Holy Spirit, would you um, make what is spiritually discerned, discernible? Lord, speak and apply your word right now to our hearts. Show us Christ's love. Lord, help. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We know this for sure from Ephesians 5. To love as he should, a husband must love as Christ does. To love as he should, a husband must love as Christ does. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. The church. He's speaking of, yes, this is a church for sure, but it's more particularly a church because when we speak of this place, we're speaking of the believers gathered here. He's speaking of the church universal. Every single believer in Christ is considered part of the universal church. How does Christ love the church? Well, we maybe think fruit of the Spirit, you know, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, you know, self-control, for sure this is seen in Christ. But we see it in 25 specifically what Paul hones in on. He tells us in which way he loves the church. And look in verse 25, he says, by giving himself up. Literally what this means is yielding himself up. Christ yields himself over, gives it all in a sense. Now, as you're thinking about this, and, and maybe you've even have this verse memorized, I don't know, and you thought, I've heard this before, and a picture comes to your mind, maybe like it did for me for many, many, many years. I'm ready to give it all for my wife. Especially when you're younger, you're maybe thinking and newly married, you're like, I would take a bullet for her. 
I would, and you, you even picture it, like that, that glorious moment of you're jumping, and she's like, oh no, and then you're jumping in front of her, and you take a bullet, and you're like, everyone's like, oh wow, like look, look what he's done. You know, or you're thinking like, no, no, no. it's like that, but like maybe if I, if, I, if I hit the gym more or learn kung fu, like, like I could do this. This moment that's coming, I could totally hit, and that would be super cool, and, and maybe someone here is going to have to take a bullet for his wife, like that would be, wow. It's doubtful though. It's doubtful. Maybe for you, you think right away, well, you know, I can do this. I can give up everything. You know what? I would give up golf tomorrow. Not today, but tomorrow I give up golf. <laughs> and, and, and like I would give it all up. I would give up hunting. I would give up my hobbies. I would give up whatever you can think. I would give up wearing that shirt with those pants. I'd never do that again because my wife said not to. And I won't. I will just give it up. And maybe you think that, but here's the thing is, whether you're taking the bullet, how do you know if you're um, going to be strong enough? How do you know that you're going to be brave enough? How do you know that your kung fu is going to be good enough? Right? Like, you give it up. How do you know that you've given enough up? Like, when will enough be enough? And, and how do you know? And so, what we see from Ephesians 5 is that, husbands, to love as you should, you must love as Christ does. That is the only way that you can attempt to love your wife as you should. So the fitting question then is, how does Christ, in Ephesians 5, how do we see Christ loves this church? Well, this brings us to our first point, Christ loves sacrificially as husbands should. Christ loves sacrificially as husbands should. So what does it mean that he gave himself up? What does it mean that he yielded himself over? Well, it means this, it means that he sacrificed everything. He sacrificed everything. Now, we hear this often. We hear Jesus gave his life. Jesus went to the cross. But I think sometimes we don't realize exactly the weight of what this means. When we're told that he gave himself up, this is what took place. He gave up, first and foremost, communion with the Father and with the Spirit. He gave up perfect relationship and unity. He gave that up to come as a man. He gave up the throne to come and start in a stable. He created the planets and hung them in place. And he comes as a carpenter now working with wood. He's been everywhere. He is everywhere. And then he comes to have no place to place his head. He had the worship of angelic beings continually. And then the audience of shepherds. From a place of perfect joy to being called the man of sorrows. To having as we sung, we just sang this song, I love that song that we sing. The awesome, terrifying splendor of God. To having nothing in his appearance to draw us to him. Just being an average Joe. You could pass him on the street and not die. All power having legions of angels at his beck and command, and then being rejected and beaten and mocked and lied to and lied about, called Satan, misunderstood, humiliated and abandoned. The one who is without sin, Scripture tells us, became sin. You think he didn't give it all up. He unthinkably gave it all up went to a cross, a criminal's death, and then to a tomb. And so when we look at this, taking a bullet, 
You know, that one moment you have in your head, that's not even really worth speaking of, is it? It's almost embarrassing that we would go there. And what really sets his sacrifice above all others is what's said next. Look at verse 25 again, simply. He gave himself up for, and look what it says, for her. Remember, the church, for us as believers in Christ. So the question is, when someone has a relationship with someone, a new relationship, what's the question? I heard heard you're you're seeing so-and-so. The question is, what's she like? Tell, tell me what she's like. Man, and you went to all that? Like you did all those things for her? Like she must be something else. She must be out of this world. So what is she like? Who are we? What does Scripture say? He gave himself up for who? Well, Romans 5.8 says, while we are still sinners. While still sinners. Goes on to say Enemies. Then God saved us. Then God reconciled us to himself. Romans 3 gives a list, and he says, this is who she is. Let me tell you about her. She's unrighteous. She's bitter. She's foul-mouthed. She's uncaring. She's worthless. She's miserable with no fear of her husband, no fear of God. Hosea says she's a prostitute. Not like a prostitute. She is one. This is us. This is who Christ gave himself up for. The question would be, son, why are you still with that woman? What are you doing with that woman? Why are you still with her? And yet Christ sacrificed for us despite us. You see, in the love of Christ, there's no cold shoulder. There's no silent treatment. There's no bitterness that's welled up and or or stayed for years, and and unforgiveness. If only you would have then. Or if, if, if only not then. Then things would be different. It doesn't happen. There's no leaving. There's no broken promises. There's no handing over her. Off you go. Instead, we're told, he hands over himself. He hands over himself and then takes her shame and takes her guilt on himself, and then is punished on a cross. Why? Why bother? Verse 26 says this. Notice he says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. He's talking about a moment of sanctification, like, like, sometimes sanctification speaks of like a setting apart. That's what this is speaking of. He sets her apart. He cleanses her, purifies her. That's what's being said there. And how? By his own word, by, by the word of God, by the gospel, by his word, this is what he does. And so he sacrifices for us to cleanse us, to bring us to himself. It's an it's amazing picture of the gospel. Now, some people would say, commentators would say, this washing is probably speaking of baptism. I would say highly unlikely. I think this washing is clearly setting her up for something. And it's a picture I believe Paul is taking right from Ezekiel 16. And I'll have it on the screen for you. A picture from Ezekiel 16 when Yahweh enters a covenant with his people. And listen to what God says. This covenant-keeping God. Listen to what he says of his people. He says, 
Ezekiel 16, I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk, and I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck, and I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty, and your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For, and look what he says, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. God himself gives splendor to the ugly. This is a radical transformation. Ezekiel is speaking to us of a radical transformation. This is the gospel. This is different than making a decision to just be a better person or go to church or something. This is the gospel. This is faith in Christ, and it's about a radical transformation from a prostitute to royalty. Not, not even like, like a prostitute to like something royal, to royalty. He makes it that way. We, this is God's work. We, we, had, um, we homeschool a couple of our kids uh, still. Well, we don't. My wife does. But she ordered, believe it or not, caterpillars. You can order caterpillars in the mail. So they come and they're these like little tiny things. You can't even hardly tell they're a caterpillar. And we watch these things grow. And they get big and ugly. And then they make a cocoon. And then they turn into a butterfly. Well, the first couple I missed, so I actually had one down there. was like watching, 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 watching. And then I turned my head and I'm like, ah, oh, it's a butterfly coming out. So I got most of it watching, watching this thing emerge. I, I watched it like it was a caterpillar and now it's a butterfly. I'm yelling to the family and it's too late. It happened so quick. But we're watching this thing and saying, how is this possible that this, this thing's got wings now and the wings work? and it flies. How is it flying? It has antenna, long legs now. It's got this pattern on its wings that you could stare at for forever. This radical transformation, and you look at that and you say, that's God's work. Like homeschooling Hunter Home did not get credit for that. We have created a butterfly, <laughs> right? No, never. No, that's, that's God's supernatural work. And so, what is going on? Well, look at verse 27. A radical transformation why? He says, so that he might present the church, so it's his work, so that he could present the church to himself in splendor. And we get this picture of Ezekiel again, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. He makes the ugly beautiful. And why? Why is this necessary? Well, he sacrificed to make her ready. That's why. Jesus Christ is sacrificed to make her ready. Now, they had an understanding of weddings back then, a little different than now, and traditions and things have changed. And so what would happen back then is that the groom's friend, or I guess maybe best man you could call him, would give the bride to the groom. 
But that's not what happens here. And it's not even like now where the bride, you know, she dolls herself up and she, she's got her dress and her friends are all helping her. And then there's the reveal, right? Music starts and doors open and she comes down and, and now she's coming towards her, her groom all, all ready with splendor and some flowers, right? That's what happens. But that's not what happens in this text. Look at what happens in the text. There's not, there's not a friend of the, of the groom giving the bride over and it's, it's not what we see now I don't know if you noticed it, but look what it says. It says that the, the groom gives the bride to himself. He presents her to himself. So here's what's happening. Jesus Christ sets us apart through his sacrifice, making us clean by his power. This is a work of God, right? To, by his word, to bring us to himself. So Jesus brings you to Jesus. He's given it all and mission accomplished. The butterfly has emerged. She's safe, she's secure, she's beautiful. Now, we look at that and before you go and say, okay, I'm ready to give it all for transformation for my wife. I'm I'm all in. You must remember this. And Ephesians 5 shows us this. To love as he should, a husband must love as Christ does. So, how does Christ love? What do we know for sure from Ephesians 5? Well, we know for sure that radical transformation is a work of God, and we also know that the goal is to present your wife to Jesus. That's the goal. So, so husbands, here's a question for you today, and a question for me. How are you responding when you sacrifice for your wife and there's no change? Or you get nothing in return. You think, maybe thoughts come to you, why why are you nagging me? Don't you see what I've done? Or you think, like, what's the point? Didn't you see, like, all that I sacrificed, all that I've given up, and, and what's the point? Doesn't she know how, how good I am compared to other husbands? Right? You ever been there before? Let me, let me give you a list, actually. And, and let's go through the list. And, 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 and we have these thoughts, right? What happens when we don't get a response? Well, what we know from Ephesians 5 is this, and ironically, yes, a proper godly response is good, but it is not guaranteed. And when your wife does not respond properly to you, give you recognition, thanks, whatever it would be, the gospel's actually modeled more clearly in how now you respond and when you continue to sacrifice for her, regardless of her response. The gospel is seen. That does not make sense. That is mind-blowing. What do you want her to be presented before? It's another question for you. What do you want her to be presented before? Now, I think most of us would know the answer. You've been through Sunday school, maybe Harvest Kids, not too long ago, and you know the answer is Jesus. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what your heart's answer is. Who do you want your your wife to be presented before? Is it in your heart, I want her to respect me, to pay attention to me, to just listen to me, just, just show me affection, just some affection? Look at me, look at me, look at me, recognize me. Or, or I want her to respect Christ. 
Is your heart in those moments when that doesn't happen? No, no, no. It's not about me. I want her to respect Christ. I want her to pay attention to Christ. I want her to to listen to Christ. I want her to show affection to Christ. Is that your heart? Because it has to be. Your goal has to be the same as Jesus himself. He sacrificed it all to get us back to him. And as husbands, that has to be the goal. Get her to Jesus. I've said this before, and so some of you have heard this, but I'll say it again. At the end of the day, at the end of my life, when I'm standing before the Lord, he will not ask me, what did your wife think of you? The question won't be asked. He won't say, did she think you were awesome? Did she totally trust you and respect you? He's not going to ask you those things. He's going to say, what did she think of my son? Did you point her to my son? He's not going to ask you about you. He's going to ask you about his son. And did you point your bride to the groom? Or were you consumed with yourself? The goal needs to be, because I am married to my wife, she would love Christ more. And so because marriage models the gospel, a question for the rest of us, for you, are you ready to stand before Christ? Yes, maybe in light of your marriage. But I would say more personally for those that maybe aren't married. Do you feel the ugliness and the weight of sin and the weight of trying to make it better or forget it? Somehow clean yourself and the inability to do it. And you've been spending all your efforts to try to make yourself presentable. Just make up for the past. Make up for those decisions. Make up for maybe what people know or say. You cannot clean yourself. This is the gospel. Jesus Christ offers the impossible. I will give you transformation and I will clean you to bring you to me. You do not do the cleaning yourself. You don't doll yourself up and then come down the aisle. I do it all and then bring you down the aisle. Christ gets you to Christ. God gets you to God. No one gets themselves to God ever, ever. That's not the gospel. That's awful pride. And it comes out in so many subtle ways of humility. I just hope I've done enough. I hope I'm clean enough. I hope I'm good enough. You're not. But Christ is, and he does this work. And so he takes our ugliness, and he takes it on himself. And he bears our, sh- our sin and our shame, and then he offers a righteousness, right standing with him. He, he cleans you. And he makes you, do you think he does a good job? He gets it perfect. And he presents you perfectly before himself. He didn't mess up. And it is enough. And it is the gospel. It's undeserved. And it is enough. And so if you come to trust that in faith, will you repent of your sin and trust in Christ to do this cleaning work and not believe any of the lies of religion and all that's told you about how to get to God? It's right here. And it's pictured in marriage. So husbands, to love as you should, you must love as Christ does. First, we see that Christ lived sacrificially, as should you. 
And now second, and this is second point, it's a two-point message this morning. So second point is this, Christ loves with care as husbands should. Look at verse 28 and 29. Christ loves with care as husbands should. It says this, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. So what he's saying here is everyone loves their body. And you're thinking, no, I don't. (laughs) I uh, hate my body. And I would argue to say, uh, yes, you do. You love your body. And here's what is meant by this. And here's, yeah, here's what is meant by this is when you're hungry, you will eventually eat. And when you're thirsty, you will find water for yourself. Who is more aware of your hunger than you? I can speak from experience. Me. I am a hungry man most of the time. You know it. You feel it. Thirst. Hunger. Um, if, if I get a cramp, it's really interesting. I don't know if the Lord did this just to illustrate today. I got something going on with my elbow this morning that doesn't make any sense. This kills right now. What is that? And you're like, well, you're almost 40, Kyle. Like, duh. <laughs> right? And I'd say, yes, that's true. But seriously, like, what is that? Right? And, and I don't know. But here's what I do know is I feel it. And I'm aware of it. Why? Because I love my body. I'm aware of it. I, I know fears and anxieties and, and blood pressures. I feel it. Why? Because I love my body. I'm very aware of my body. Every bump and bruise and cramp and the rest of it. And so, he says, nourish your body. So it makes sense. Like, like uh, Ephesians 6, 4 speaks about a child and, and bringing him up. It's like a child. You look after your body in a tender way to give it all that it needs to grow up, to, to, to make it. And then cherish is literally to keep warm. That's interesting, to keep warm. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 speaks of it this way, this cherish, as like a nurse, a nursing mother, right? Care. Have you ever been, I don't know if you've been in the hospital and uh, I have where I've got one of those warm blankets. They're like, can we get you one of these blankets? First time, I was like, uh, okay. And then I got the blanket. I was like, oh, warm blanket. It's like in an oven or something. I don't know what it is. It's beautiful. It reminded me, it brought me back to the time where, you know, mom would clean my blanket and it would come out of the dryer. And you're just like, oh, this is like perfect moment. Like, Lord, is that you? Am I? No, I'm still okay. Just like that warmth and that comfort of a blanket. I don't care how old you are. And they're still doing it in the hospital, so it must be comforting. You get that warm blanket, and it just covers you and just brings that care. That's what he's saying. Cherish in that way. And so you think, as a husband, well, yes, I know. I know. I've been told all the time I need to be more caring. So, yes, I get that. I like to love and to cherish, right? See, I know my vows. I will, I will cherish you. I will, I will try. Well, to love as you should, you must love as Christ does. So before we go to try, what, is, what does it mean that Christ cares? We better figure that out. So what does it mean that he cares? Well, he gives us an analogy of the body. He nourishes and cherishes us. Why? Look at verse 30. It's like super simple in some ways. Why? Well, because we are members of his body. So he nourishes us and cherishes us by becoming one with us. So his care is constant. Okay, so this care is is just continual. My, my arm, my elbow, needs a continual supply from my body. You know, I grew up in, uh, and how do I know that? 
believe it or not, I'm not a doctor. I mean, it's probably blowing your mind with what I just said right now. But I, I grew up in a small uh, farming community, and uh, I think farm safety was a lot different 35 years ago. But I knew lots of men that were missing fingers and arms and toes, okay, from, from farming accidents. One thing I know for sure, when your finger's cut off, one thing I learned, it doesn't do well. It needs constant attachment, okay? It, it, you can't take your finger and just be like, uh, that's more like a, like a Valentine's time. Then there's some connection there. You know, that's more birthday time or Mother's Day time. Or, no, no, no. It's constant. And if it's not constant, in fact, even if your circulation is poor, that's a problem. It needs to be continually connected to the body. So that's there for sure in what he says of us being members. But when he says nourish and cherish, Christ is speaking more intentional than just, hey, don't you know I said my vows were attached, right? Like, like I'm your husband and yeah, I care for you. Duh. Like look over the video of my vows. No, he's saying this is intentional and this is constant and this is all the time and it's very much like a nursing mother. Oh man, right? Really? Like for husbands, we're like, yeah, no one's, I didn't see any fist pumps. Not even one. Your love for your wife needs to be like a nursing mother. Like no one's like, amen. No one, like, so, but what do we know of nursing mothers? It's continual, right? It's tender, it's all the time, and it's continual. And they will tell you, though I don't know if it's true, that even as they sleep, they're caring and they're, and they're listening, right? Although it might be true because I never woke up ever. Julie tells, I just have to believe that Julie woke up. That's my wife's name. Um, it's continual all the time, nurturing, right? And so here's the thing is it can never be just, I'm not feeling it. I'm just not feeling this today. It's just, just like today's just not a good day. Or, or as often our culture says, I've actually, I'm sorry, but I've just fallen out of love. I just don't have those feelings anymore. It's just not it. Can be said never. Never. It's not a possibility given to us in the word of God. That has nothing to do with the gospel. Or you say, I'm just not that kind of guy. Like, okay, I'll try to be more caring. Like, are we done the second point? Because not really into caring, especially like nursing mothers, honestly. I'm just not like that kind of guy. I'm kind of a man's man. Well, that's a problem. Because it's a lie. Isaiah 40, verses 10 to 11, and the whole Bible tells us different, says this, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. He is not weak. He is powerful. He is almighty. He is terrifying. And he will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Hmm. So if you think you're not manly, you're going to have to take that up with the Lord because it would appear then that the Lord's a wuss. But he is not. Is the perfect balance, perfect balance of love and truth. Right? Like mercy, grace, justice, um, and, and wrath, and, and again, grace, and love, and care. He's a perfect balance. And you can't, as I've said in my own heart before and out loud, you can't err on a side. You can't say, I'm just kind of more like this. You can't. It is a perfect balance of this care and this nurturing and it's good. And so the question is not what kind of guy are you, but probably the better question is uh, what kind of sin are you prone to go to? Are you the one that crushes and is harsh, as Colossians 3 warns against? Or are you the one that um, caves and is a pushover? I just, just, okay, just whatever, no, 
I'm not going to speak. I'm not going to care. But it's going to be in a, in a, in a submissive kind of like, ah, just I'll stay away from it way. Where do, you, where do you go? We know this too of Christ's love, that his care is intimate. Look at verse 30 to 31. We are members of his body, he says again, and then because of that, look at what, what verse 31 says. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So he says here, since believers in Christ are united to Christ, a husband and wife will be united together. And not only does he say that, he quotes from Genesis 2.24. Why is that a big deal? That's a big deal because that's way back, beginning of your Bible. This is the first husband and first wife. This is before Christ came as a man, died and rose. And he says, for this reason... That's what was said in Genesis, and now Paul makes the connection. For this reason, a man, starting with Adam and Eve, will leave their mother and father. <laughs> their father is God, right? But, but physical mother and father, and become one. Why? Because, because Jesus is connected with us. So now he says, you need to be connected to each other. So marriage and roles of marriage is not a cultural thing. We're not, we're not going to look around at, at other cultures and, and figure this out. This is mandated by God, instituted by God, designed by God. Maleness and fem- femaleness within marriage, roles of husbands and wives, all by God to, to what? To show himself, to show the gospel like none other. And so he talks about uh, leaving Right? This husband is going to leave, literally leave behind, hold fast, or some of your versions might say cleave, like cling to right? his wife. And then what happens? It says here, the two will become one flesh. So they're going to be united together. Now, this union for sure is uh, referring to sex being the ultimate... Um, sort of example of that union, that, that ultimate sort of expression of that union. But we know that it's referring to every single part of your life because of verse 30. Right? Verse 30, as Christ unites with our body, we're talking all of, not just unites with one part, not just one thing. This is all-encompassing. And your union with your wife, I am united to my wife different than your wife, and that's the way it ought to be in every way. And he says the two will become one. And it is a picture of Christ's union with us. So, Christ leaves his heavenly throne. Christ becomes a man. He sacrifices himself to cleanse us, to present us perfect to himself, to actually be united. Like Actually something happens there. And this is not long distance. This is close. This is intimate. This is not just letters from afar. Christ is in us. Christ changes us. And this is permanent. Uh, Gloria Furman, she's a Christian author. She She says it this way, and I think this is helpful. Christ's people united with him until never do we part. We often hear, like, till death do we part, till death do we part, till death do we part. Yes. But Christ's love for us is united with us forever until never do we part. That's incredible. 
That's the gospel. So husbands, like we must bring this type of care. We must bring this type of intimate, constant care for sure. But before we go out and try this, then we need to remember, right? We need to remember that to love as you should, you must love as Christ does. So what do we know for sure from Ephesians 5, what we've read? Well, we know for sure that Christ cares, and he cares perfectly. Christ is the one who cares, and he cares perfectly. So a question again for husbands. Husbands, are you caring for your wife? Are you nourishing and cherishing your wife? Or are you more like feeding and watering her? Are you nourishing and cherishing her? Or do you think that you are, but you're more just like feeding and watering? Because anyone can kind of feed and water. I can feed and water your wife, but I cannot nourish and cherish her. I'm not commanded to do that. I'm commanded not to. Are you nourishing and cherishing her? Are you thinking at times to yourself, I don't know what her problem is. She's got food and water. I put food on the table. I bring the paycheck. I'm working my tail off, in fact, for it. I don't know what her problem is. I'm home all the time. I've given up a lot to do that. I don't know what her problem is. I, I let her do her thing. I, I mean, I keep her happy. But I would say a stranger can do that. And you're not called to feed and water your wife. You're called to nourish and cherish, and it's much different. What kind of care are you bringing? Is your greatest desire that she be cared for by Christ or by you? Now, again, the question would be, same as before. Well, the answer would be, do you desire that she be cared for by Jesus or by you? And we're thinking, again, I went through Sunday school. I went through Harvest Kids. The answer is Jesus, for sure. No-brainer. And I'd say, yeah, you got that right. But you can get it right all day and get it wrong in your heart forever. Is your desire really that? Do you commit to clean dishes more, vacuum more, play more with the kids, listen more, talk more, cry more, snuggle more? Whatever it would be, you committed to that. And, 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 and maybe you should be. But why? Are you committed to that so that you'd be known especially by her, as the greatest husband in southern Ontario. I mean, really. I mean, really, is that what drives you? Here we go again and again and again and again. Why? So that she's left with you? Or are you doing it because you want to constantly remind her of Christ's care for her? You can do the same actions for totally different reasons. Are you caring for her so that she sees Christ because you know you can't actually care for her? You can't, but Christ can. So he's called you to care for her like him so that she would be drawn to him. So you're going to talk with her. You don't want to, but you're going to. You don't want to listen, but you're going to. You don't want to repent, but you're going to, and often. You will pray with her always, not because you want to, not always, maybe. Maybe sometimes, but because, why? Well, I need to know what she wants. I need to know what she fears. I need to know what she thinks. And I don't want to, but I need to know what she loves. And I need to know what she values. And then that way I can bring proper care to her. That's why I'm doing this. But when you're focused on you, you do it for all the wrong reasons. It's exhausting. 
I'm doing this to care for her, not to give her what she wants necessarily. In fact, many times to not give her what she wants, but to help her find what she needs in Christ. To remind her of him, not to remind her of me, that she would hear his word, not that she would hear mine. She doesn't need to hear my opinions on everything. She doesn't. (laughs) She just doesn't. She needs to hear Christ's opinion. That she would abide with him and not with me. She doesn't need to spend 24-7 with me. She doesn't. She needs to abide with Christ. So am I caring in such a way that that's the case? And then for us, if, if marriage is a picture of the gospel, then a question for the rest of us, for you. Do you know the care that's been offered to you? Do you know the care that's offered to you does not come from any man? I mean, even as a father figure, it doesn't come from any man. Man doesn't come from men. Women doesn't come from a man. It does not come from even the perfect husband. In fact, if you decide, I am going to get care, and it says in Ephesians 5, he's supposed to care as Christ, and your primary purpose is to get that care from him, guess who you're going to hate more than anyone else on the planet? It's going to be him. You know why? Because he's not Christ. The care you need only comes from Christ. And do you know? And I don't know if you are trusting in the person and work of Christ this morning or not, but do you know the care that's been offered to you? The sacrifice and the cleaning off and the, pres- the presentation that he's offered through his own body for you, do you know that today? Are, are you still trying on your own to earn something? Are you, are you trying to be cared for by other people and places and things? Have you repented of your sin and will you trust in Christ? He is the groom and he calls those who believe in him the bride. And he will not put you to shame. But if you trust in yourself, you will be put to shame. It will not go well. It can't. So believer, do you know how cared you are? That Christ will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will not cast you out. He will not lose you. He is with you. He lives in you. You have fears. You have doubts. You have struggles. There is so much that's unknown. But he sees and he hears and he knows and he saves. He cares. You lack nothing. You don't don't lack. The care is perfect. Maybe... You're not fully realized yet, but it is perfect. And right now it is perfect. And it is for you. Marriage reminds us of this. And so this is why Paul says what he does in verse 32. He says, This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Profound mystery. That word is mega. This is a mega mystery. What, Paul? he's talking about everything we've just talked about. The mega mystery is that marriage symbolizes the gospel. Symbolizes another groom and another bride. This is a mega mind-blowing mystery. John Henderson says it well, and it's on the screen for you. says this, The main point of marriage is to make visible the invisible, to give us some sense of the relationship between Christ and the church. It is to show the gospel. 
somehow the invisible is made visible through marriage. There's no other relationship that models it like marriage. There's none. You might see glimmers of it, certainly through our relationships, but marriage is particular. And there's no other relationship to follow that marriage ought to follow than the relationship of Christ with his church. So, so hear this. This isn't just a good example to follow as husbands and wives, like one of the best. It's not. It is the only one. Marriage is designed to model only one relationship, and it's Jesus with us, with, with those that are his. Mega, mind-blowing. And so Paul says in 33, to close, he says this, however, or, this, this is, this makes it sound like he's, he's throwing it aside. He's, it's more like now, in any case. Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, why does Paul have verse 33 at the end like this? Why does he say this at the end? Well, I hope you see why he says this at the end. The statement's made last because it can only be understood and accomplished with the gospel in mind. If you take verse 33 out and just like, here we go, and you do not look at Christ and his love for us, you will not be caring, you will not be loving. It will not make sense and you will be so frustrated. It was meant to picture the gospel. So husbands, with the gospel in mind then, now, with that in mind, love your wives. And wives, with that in mind, now, respect your husbands. And then remember, to love as you should, you must love as Christ does.